When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on the 1st of February 2021 which, as the calendar flips, means we are inching ever closer to pitchers and catchers reporting, spring training starting up, although the League and Players Association are still debating parts of that, but but we're close, I think, regardless. And then, ultimately, the 2021 season getting underway, and Brendan... With that, uh, I am excited to record this podcast. I'm always excited to talk to you, Brendan. You know that. Always. Of An irrefutable fact. I and know. I'm always excited to speak with our loyal listeners, of course. But today I'm actually excited to hop back on here because we have actual baseball stuff to talk about. Uh, we have some good stuff on the Cubs front and some very bad stuff on uh, the NL Central front, but we will put it all together in context. We'll break it all down. And, you know, look, at the very least, Brendan, I'm, I'm excited to not have had the conversation with you before we started recording the podcast uh, with no clue as to what we were going to spend an hour talking about. It, it's pretty clear cut today, and, and I'm excited for that. Cole Stewart. The headline, right, Corey? That that is not <laughs> not what I meant. <laughs> but we may touch on Cole Stewart a little bit. Some, uh, you yeah. know, one of the Cubs uh, pitching projects, so to speak, that they've added to their their pile of of bodies here for the twenty twenty one season. Uh, but I, there there's a couple places to start, I suppose. Um, and I, I think the the place I would like to start. I, I think the biggest news is not with the Cubs. It is the NL Central news out of St. Louis, but this is not a NL Central podcast. This is not a Cardinals podcast. It is the Cubs-related podcast. So I would like to start with the biggest news in the Cubs camp, and we'll work our way through everything, and that is that the Cubs have themselves a left fielder. They have themselves a replacement for the void left by Kyle Schwarber, and that is in the form of former Los Angeles Dodger Jock Peterson, who signs a deal with the Cubs uh, to take over the the reins in left field. And there's a lot to look at from this move, Brendan, especially when you are, I think as the Cubs are, you know, penny pinching or, you know, maybe it's a dollar in, dollar out scenario 
right, uh, as opposed to other years. It's interesting to look at these moves kind of as swaps, for one another, right? And and they're not literally that. You know, the, the Cubs didn't necessarily literally swap Kyle Schwarber for Jock Peterson. Jock's deal is cheaper. But when you look at a lot of the moves that the Cubs have made, it's interesting to, you know, when you consider that the money is tight, to look at these things kind of as a, the Cubs chose this over that, right? So uh, we'll get into a lot of that. We'll, we'll compare the difference between Kyle and Jock, I think, specifically, and and what this means for the Cubs offense going forward. But b- before we get into the weeds there, Brendan, just your, your general gut reaction. Um, you know, the, there was a report after the Peterson signing was announced, uh, and it has yet to be announced officially by the Cubs, similar to how, you know, only recently the the Nationals announced John Lester, even though that news came out a little while ago. Uh, So we're still waiting on that. But there was a rumor after it had been reported that he was signing with the Cubs uh, that the budget, as far as the Cubs were concerned, was maybe a little more flexible than it had been, you know, even the week prior, right? And we're not sure the the truthfulness of that report, uh, whether it's just PR stuff or who knows. But, you know, if you're paying attention to, uh, I think, some of the vaccine data and things like that, other sports, you know, having fans and things that might affect revenue, it's just something interesting to keep in mind, especially as the Cubs give out uh, their biggest contract of the offseason on, or, you know, earlier in that day. So uh, sorry for rambling on, but Brendan, your, your gut reaction to the Cubs' new left fielder, Jock Peterson. Yeah, well, you know, I've been spending so many years trash talking Dodgers and especially in in some cases jock that I had to like retrain my brain. But well, I, Brendan, I, on that I note, it, I was actually first. surprised. Yeah. Uh, I did a little, you know, tweet search, a tweet audit of myself, uh, you know, just searching just, my just own handle sure. and the, should, the word the jock, thing. right? And just just curious because, like you. I've never, you know, been, (laughs) obviously you guys know how we feel about the Dodgers in general, but I I don't remember being a big fan of his throughout these years, especially when the Cubs and Dodgers were playing in the NLCS and back-to-back years and stuff like that. I I was pretty surprised. The only thing I had ever tweeted about him uh, was that he struck out on a bad take in an at-bat. That was it. So I'm safe. If If he's looking through my tweets, you know, to find a Cubs podcast, I wasn't doing as much trash talking as I, <laughs> I guess I had imagined Oof. I was doing. Well, I, I may have to look that up for for myself. But I mean, honestly, Corey, my first reaction was of like being surprised. Like I, I really had no thought that the Cubs would actually go out there and spend not even over three million, like over $5 million, a $7 million contract. I, I thought they would go into the opening day with like Philip Irvin in left field and maybe having Matt Duffy play third base with maybe even Chris Bryant in left field. Like I had no optimism that they were going to do a deal right. like this. So I like it. It makes sense. And we're going to get into it. But my first reaction is like, it's kind of Schwarber-esque to a degree. You get a power-hitting left-handed left fielder who's not the best defender, but who's still capable and whose ceiling, as we know, is pretty high, just he hasn't reached it yet. So it's very similar to Schwarber, but with distinct differences that we'll talk about. Yeah, I I agree with you. And, you know, something that we'll get into and, and certainly is kind of the thread line to all of these conversations goes back to a lot of what we've talked about since the beginning of this offseason. You know, we, we, we knew, uh, we, we had our, you know, 
freak out we're mad about the U Darvish thing and and you know the the maybe payroll motivation for that uh but that was one episode and you know kind of blowing off some steam the, if you've been listening to this show for the majority of the off season you know that really since the beginning we have not been asking the cubs or expecting the cubs to you know, be operating in like the George Springer market or the top end starting pitching market, right? We we've just been hoping that they're coming off winning a division. The the division up until Friday night had done literally nothing to get better. And, you know, just sort of clean up some of these margins, if, especially if players are available on the cheap, which a lot of them have been you know, just, just sort of improve things. And, and so this move is in line with sort of exactly that, right? You know, just sort of differentiating the lineup a little bit, even though, like you said, Jock and Schwarber, their overall output is, is fairly similar, but they, they get there in slightly different ways. And some of those are ways that the Cubs have looked to improve on. Um, But that's all we've really been asking. So it's good to see this, but with another thread line through this whole off season and, and, you know, these conversations, we still need to see what else they're going to do, right? Because this is one of those moves and, and really everything they're doing, we can't really fully judge Jed Hoyer's off season and what he's done and, and how it's positioned not only 2021, but the eye toward the future, as as is kind of the the main phrase of this offseason, uh, until we see what else is happening, right? Because it's, it's easy to look at a move like adding Jock and say, okay, this is the kind of move we were, you know, maybe hoping them to make. Move on from some of these core guys, if, you, if, if you're in, intent on doing that replace them with a little bit of diversity and and see what happens right if you're not going to go full throttle and and throw the the full budget that we've seen in in prior years that being said if they're still going to look at trades you know just naming the guys who come up the most often Wilson Contreras or Chris Bryant right then we have to reevaluate things so it, it's still sort of up in limbo as as to how to judge all of this and and what to make of the 2021 team but as we sit here right now on Monday February 1st recording this this is exactly the type of move that I think we've been hoping they would make and that if they're dealing with budget constraints for you know whatever reason or the presumed reasons this is the kind of move they should have been making um so yeah i i i was pleased and you know before we delve into the numbers uh just to touch on one one particular element of this uh again you guys know our feelings uh, of the team that jock is coming from we don't even really have to mention their name anymore no, um never again but you know the feelings on that in addition to the, the the differences that they bring as players, uh, even if their overall output is is fairly similar, I I do think it's good that the Cubs were able to bring in. You're losing in Schwarber, right? Someone who was somewhat of a like mythical World Series hero for the Chicago Cubs, and someone who had his entire career been a part of playoff teams and competing in division races and things like that. And I do think that it's it's a worthwhile note that Jock is also coming in bringing that experience, right? Basically, Jock's whole career, he's been involved in division races, playoff teams, you know, has obviously been to the World Series and stuff like that. And, 
you know, Kyle wasn't the main source of that type of experience. Obviously, you still have plenty of guys on this Cubs team that are bringing that experience and and that kind of, uh, you know, playoff tight race vibe. But I, I do think if you're losing one of those players, it's not the worst thing in the world to bring in someone who also has that pedigree and who also is coming from a very high intensity and win first environment. The Dodgers, just like the Cubs, always use these weird day-to-day lineups. Maybe Jock was in left field, center right. field, right field. Maybe he's not playing. Maybe Kike's in left field. So he, he's he's familiar with like the carousel, if, if you will. But what I like most about Jock compared to uh, Schwarber is that Jock is going to make more contact. And for the difference between the two is probably more so centered on Jock's inability to hit lefties. Not that Kyle Schwarber was the best at hitting lefties, but he was more competent. For example, in 2020, he had, or in 2019 during that full year, he had a weighted on base average of close to like 310 against lefties, whereas Jock is consistently below 300. And Jock has only hit one home run against lefties over the last three seasons. Schwarber in 2019 had six homers against lefties. So that's the difference. Now, if you look at righties for Jock, this is where he excels. Against righties, Jock is going to make 80% contact. That's well above league average. And over the years, he's a career weighted on base average against righties of 360. So that's it right there. You're going to get above league average contact. You're going to get Tons of home runs against right-handed batters. And that platoon option, if they want to go down that route, which it sounds like he's going to get the shot to play almost every day, but over the course of the season, if he does ultimately go into more of a platoon role, you can then throw in, let's say, you know, Matt Duffy at third base, put KB in left field against lefties. Or you can put in Philip Irvin in left field against lefties and give Jock a day off. So from a one-year window, not looking long-term, but just in one year, it makes more sense. You get more projectability for Jock at a cheaper price against right-handed batters. We'll see what they do against lefties when his spot comes up, but I think if you look at it from those lens, it makes a lot of sense. And then the defense. So with Kyle, the numbers were always so in disagreement you have like his UZR which is what Fangraphs uses around like league average slightly below league average but then you look at baseball savant they rate Kyle as the worst defensive left fielder in the league that's been the case for like three years now so whatever one you want to use up to you whatever but for Jock his UZR over his career in left field it's in line with a well above league average left fielder and you look at the actual baseball savant version of the metrics, it's about, you know, slightly below league average, 40th percentile type numbers over here. So you're going to get a better defender. I think visually, I think we all can agree that visually Jock is better. And then statistically, you can make the argument that, you know, Jock is better statistically as well. So again, one year window, $7 million, $3 million cheaper than what they paid Kyle Washington did. And you can use that $3 million, which is what they exactly did to get someone like Trevor Williams. You can fill up that rotation that way. So uh, it makes sense. Is it the 
the best way to go about this? I, like, of course not, right? Like, we're, we have to operate under some sense of realism, but given the restrictions, I, I see what Jed is doing here, and I do like it. Right. Again, for, for the millionth time, like, the, the, basically none of this is ideally how, you know, you might be right. going about this offseason or uh, building with this team and this core and stuff like that. In an ideal world, the Cubs still have you Darvish, right? So uh, that's a given, but we're taking it from where we got it. And, uh, you know, as we've said many times, there's still a ton of talent on this team. Adding Peterson only helps that. And just to your earlier point, Brendan, uh, about Philip Irvin. Philip Irvin, a guy who has a 113 career WRC plus, uh, you know, so again, 100 being league average. So he's a, a bit above that against left-handed mm-hmm. pitching. So but it did sound like in just reading the reports that one reason Jock may have signed with the Cubs is because he was given a degree of confidence yes. that he'll get a shot against lefties. Yeah, that, right? so that it, was it, definitely coming out yeah. from some of the beat writers and I, you know, I think that makes sense too, you know, just for, you know, look, as you were mentioning, Jock has been one of those guys who's obviously been a big contributor to those Dodgers teams, uh, but always, you know, different positions, different days in and out of the lineup, stuff like that. Uh, so I think, you know, this certainly for him is is looking to make a name for himself, you know, and then, yeah. you know, whenever he gets back on that free agent market, you know, looking to kind of capitalize, which again, you know, again, is another, I think, positive of this. It's It's always good to have guys that are out to prove themselves and and make a name for themselves and are ultimately playing to secure themselves financially uh afterward it doesn't always work out that way but i you know i think the extra motivation is is certainly good so yeah i i think you know again if you were looking to really differentiate this lineup i think obviously going from kyle to jock is not severe enough if that was your full intent, if you were really intent on saying we are going to, you know, the the biggest flaw with this lineup and the thing that gets them every year is the strikeout rate, the lack of contact, and the inability to kind of make contact in those key high leverage runners in scoring positions, stuff like that spots. Um, you know, so this isn't the most drastic move they could have made in that regard, but it is an improvement in that regard, like you said, just in terms of strikeout rate and contact rate. And, you know, just just looking at the last few years, uh, and again, as always, you know, you can make of the 2020 data what you want. But going back just three years here, uh, 2020, Jock was at a 24.6 strikeout rate, 21.6 in 19, 19.2 in 2018. Mm-hmm. Kyle Schwarber in that same span going backwards from 2020, 29.5, and then going even further, Schwarber in 20, you know, through his earlier career is up in, you know, near the 30s. Um, So you're improving in that regard. Again, you know, how much, super drastically, maybe not, but you're improving in that regard. Uh, And the, again, the overall output is uh, fairly similar in a lot of these years. You know, there. Remember Kyle's second half, 2019, how monstrous it was? Just in this, you'll see where I'm going with this. But yeah, so I think he had like a weighted on base average in the second half that year of like four. The, the easiest but, way to remember that is that it was better than Castellanos in that same span. And we always, we all remember what we thought of Castellanos. Yeah. So. And so if you average out just that year, his damage against right-handed batters. He had a weighted on base average of 367. And I bring that up because that's Jock's career rate against righties, basically. And it's not to say 
because we always talked about that second half as a reason to be optimistic about Schwarber, but you're optimistic about Schwarber because you're also accepting that there is this wide range of variability with Schwarber. And I bring up Jock's 360 Woba against righties as a way to emphasize they're not going to get that stark difference, even within a season, and not from season to season, certainly. So you're going to get more of a projection, a confidence projection with Jock in one year. I think with Schwarber, the ceiling is obviously higher, but just as much as you can't ignore the things he did really well, like the second half, you can't also ignore the periods before that. Can't ignore the 2017 calldown or demotion. And so I, th- I think that's that's where you come in with someone like a Jock Peterson, and you have just a greater degree of confidence of having your money turn into value. And I think with Washington in their context, you give $10 million, you're also gambling a little bit. You give $10 million because you know he can provide way more value, but you're still gambling more. So I think this is a more of a conservative investment for the Cubs with a lot of similarities between the two. But if you're going to bet, who's going to have the better, like, run production against righties, you have to go jock. There's no reason to not go jock in that case. Yeah, and so one thing that I, I'd also like to add that I, I think is worthwhile context uh, from friend of the podcast, Matt Clapp, who is at the blog finds on Twitter. I assume a lot of you already follow him. Matt's a great follow. But he he threw out, you know, on the day that this signing came out that it's it's worth tossing these numbers out there. And those are Jock's career playoff numbers. Obviously, you know, having been with the Dodgers, uh, I think since 2014, he's been in the playoffs a lot. Uh, A career slash line of 272, 349, 503 with nine home runs in 170 plate appearances in the playoffs, which is a bigger plate appearance sample than the 2020 season uh, that he had. And in 2020, also, in 37 postseason at-bats, he had a 991 OPS in 2020 for the Dodgers in uh, the truncated season playoffs. Don't think just because Jock's on the team here, I'm going to let them off the hook with mentioning that 2020 was not a real season. So, you know, those are are the initial thoughts, Uh, you know, like we were kind of saying before, once this becomes official and is announced by the team, you know, then uh, guys like David Ross and Jed Hoyer will be able to speak on this, Jock will be able to speak on this, and maybe we'll get a little more clarity into the role that they're expecting for him, what their expectation, you know, for the kind of transition going on in the left field position is, and we'll be able to break this down more. But, you know, I think the, the again, the the initial reaction to this is this is the type of move we've been expecting them to make really since the beginning of the offseason. If you're going to move on from some of these guys, if you're going to look to diversify, given the context that we're just, we have no choice but to accept that the payroll situation is what it is. It's tight. It's maybe a little malleable, but it's tight. This is a solid move. This is this is a solid move to replace Kyle Schwarber. Uh, and I, I, I think that this is a good one from, from Jed Hoyer. This is a very good move. Again, we'll see amidst the context if anything else happens. It's, it's, a, it's an even better move if they make a, a few more, you know, kind of those marginal additions to kind of improve things. You can ask different questions if they, you know, keep moving guys and and things like that. We'll see. But 
let's turn now to what I believe is the biggest story, uh, and it's it's not good news, but let's let's talk about it. Let's approach it rationally, um, and that is that the St. Louis Cardinals are acquiring Nolan Arenado from the Colorado Rockies, and. Similar to others, that is not official yet. Uh, I believe, like right before Brendan and I got on here at about seven ish in Chicago, Nolan had signed off on the trade. You know, he had approved his end of the trade. It still has to go through, I think, the league office and the players association. I, I don't expect any issue there, but it, you know, it is one of these trades where, you know, the Rockies are, uh, yeah. There, you want to talk about cost cutting and and moves like that? It's, yeah, it's disgusting. I wouldn't want to be a Rockies fan. Let's put it that way. But yeah, I guess I'll throw it to you first, Brendan. Just like your initial reaction, um, and then we'll we'll get into this. Um, but I think you know, of course, why this is significant is is Nolan's a great player. He there is no question about that. We're going to look at this from a few different angles, but you know the necessary starter is that Nolan is is a great great player. He's an unbelievable third baseman and a great overall player. Um, there will be conversations about the transition away from Coors, things like that. Um, but Nolan's a great player. This is a, a significant move for the Cubs' main rival, and what I think is most notable about it, other than, you know, Nolan being a very big name, someone who's been on the trading block for a while, is that prior to this point, we really had not seen, like, literally anything from the teams in the NL Central other than trading guys away, right? Pittsburgh is trading guys away. Cincinnati's trading guys away. There was a a note that came out, I think, from one, maybe it was Ken Rosenthal, you know, just sort of looking at all the money that had been spent this offseason by the different divisions. And the NL Central was far and away the least amount of money. And I think like most of that money was Austin Romines from the Cubs. And, you know, some of these other like, you know, minor league or, you know, short-term deals that the Cubs had had tossed out there. So this is, you know, it, it came not too long after the Jock Peterson thing, but we get kind of the the most significant moves, at least thus far, from the NL Central all on the same day in a pretty short span. And this is at least a signal for now, certainly, that a lot of the the narrative about how bad this division is and how nobody's really trying to win it and things like that can't really, you know, this is a pretty significant move. So I'm not, I, I don't think you can really play that card anymore. This is, has heated things up for sure, Brendan. I mean, this this move sucks. I, I think you look at Arenado in the context of 2020 and you look at the Cardinals' current roster and you're thinking like, oh, okay, Arenado's great, but is he going to make them a World Series contender competing against the Dodgers? No, that's true. But it still sucks, and I'm extremely, extremely disturbed what we're seeing. And this is a type of move that the Cardinals seem to always make, and they somehow, some way, no matter the context, find themselves being handed some of the best players in the league. So I'm upset about this. And when we look at what the what the Rockies gave up, Corey, what like this is unacceptable nah. for Major League Baseball to to have this happen. The Rockies trade one of the best players in Major League Baseball. Not just that. They gave the Cardinals 50 million dollars to take him out of their organization. 
and they only gave up. I'm going to read the suspected list of players. So this is not finalized, as Corey just said. This is what uh, is rumored to be the, the list. You have the 32nd overall prospect within the Cardinal system, the 19th overall prospect, the 15th overall prospect, and the 25th overall prospect. The names don't matter at this point. That's all to say is that the Cardinals did not give up potentially a top 15 prospect in their own system. And some people rank their system as like in the bottom third of Major League Baseball. So the Cardinals get $50 million. They don't trade any of their top prospects. And they get one of the best third basemen in in modern times, Corey. In what universe is that good for the sport? In what universe can can Rob Manfred look at them and be like, all right, I'm going to sign off on this. This, this. this is great for fans involved. All you Rockies fans, this is a great move for you. All your season ticket holders, great. Go support your team. Like, what? And I get the pandemic happened and everything, and you can't, you can't prepare for this. But it seems like Major League Baseball, I don't know, maybe this is because I don't follow the other sports. It's like they're getting hit the hardest here, and they're still getting hit. How does it make sense? How does it make sense that the Rockies have to give up one of the best players in the league who's still 29 years old, and they have to do so by giving away $50 million and not getting back any prospects? That is a complete joke, Corey. And of course, of course, it happens to the Cardinals. So again, just to just to emphasize, is this going to put the mo- the the Cardinals over the top, competing with the Dodgers? Probably not. But it is a stepping stone, and it is progress. And for that, you have to be a little bit disturbed—not a little bit disturbed, extremely disturbed—that this one keeps happening. And two, I don't see this slowing down for other teams. Maybe that's why you hear. All of this weird Darvish stuff that Darvish had no market. And this maybe this is why we got back such a ridiculous package, even for Darvish, Corey. Yeah. And, you know, look, this this Arenado thing had been bubbling up. He's been unhappy there for a while. And, yeah, it, it's, it's no good when you have teams, you know, basically in a position to give away uh, someone like Arenado and not get such a massive return you got no return right you gave away 15 million dollars you got no players back you're paying them for the privilege so obviously it's not good and of course the cardinals are the ones to reap the benefit it it, it, the the first thing that stuck stuck out to me a little bit when this was announced was like did they not call anybody else like where are the mets or like the white Sox in this nobody offered anything better than that i mean maybe it was a money thing i don't know but how you end up accepting this package for for someone uh, like Arenado is uh, wild to me. I mean, I know and it's Corey, a big you, contract, but still, you look at like the the Cubs too, right? You look at the Cubs' current system, and we're going to be talking about a KB extension, hopefully not trade during this season. But you look at what the Cardinals are paying Arenado, and it's like a twenty five million annual average value at this point for like the next six years. <laughs> and you're looking around, you're like, how come the Cubs couldn't do this? Like, you can't give away your bottom, right. you know, third type tier prospects for Nolan Arenado for $25 million well, at we an know annual average rate. It, but yeah, I I know, but it's it's just so disturbing. This is, ah, well, just... and this is one of those things, you know, and not to turn this into, a, you know, conversation about the, the money and the ownership, but just a to at least, I think we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't mention this. It's a real shame 
that the Cubs are having this problem at this time because this is a really good time to have some money and be able to exploit teams like the Rockies, you know? Um, Because, you know, for as bad as like, you know, for the complaints about the Cubs not spending as much money as we want them to, things like that, like there's other teams that are in another universe as far as not spending money. And I mean, the the Rockies payroll isn't anywhere close to to this. So that's a, a dumpster fire of completely different magnitude. But it's a shame that the Cubs are not in on this group, um, you know, like the Mets trading for Lindor, like the Dodgers when they traded for Mookie Betts, things like that. Um, you know, and, and I, and I do think that like, for as much as we, we didn't like the move, you, you is different, right? You is not 29 years old. Um, and I do think that's an important distinction to make, but it, it overall, it's just like, you'd really like to be in a buying position right now because a lot of teams are just completely punting and they're I mean literally paying other teams to take their star players I mean Nolan Arenado is a is the Rockies face of their team um and they gave the Cardinals a bunch of money to 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 help soften the the blow so it's also rather annoying that this I, I mean can can these happen in other divisions Right, like I know Lindor went to the Mets and and Betts went to the Dodgers, so like that's fine, compared you know from the Cubs' perspective. But like Yelich, Goldschmidt, now Arenado, like I can mean, we can on. these guys go to the AL or something? Like leave us alone, you know? Um, yeah, it's not great, but I think it's it's all about keeping things in in the proper context. Because for me, and you touched on this a little bit, Brendan, as I said at the beginning, Nolan's a great player. I. I don't I don't know where to land on the stuff with Coors Field, right? I I know what his career OPS is away from Coors Field. It's not nearly, you know, what his overall numbers are. I know he struggled at times uh on the road compared to the rest of his numbers. But there's, you know, there there's also been a lot of research into the value of just you know, obviously you lose the offense at Coors Field when you're not a full-time member of the Rockies. There's there's a, a major value in not traveling to and from Colorado and how that might affect those road splits. It's all just to say, I would love to be able to sit here and say, oh, well, no Coors, he's not going to be nearly as good. I'm not super confident in that. He may not be as good. I think that's fair. Um, but writing it all off, I, I don't know. I That feels a little hopeful, right, from a, a, a Cubs perspective. Um, probably somewhere in the middle, I think is, is the safest, the safest bet. But you, you did see things on Friday that at least from my perspective, Brendan, I want to immediately like get in front of this. Um, I, a lot of these national writers, their analysis is not very good and they serve to sort of just break news and, and pump PR for the league or agents or players, whatever they're doing. It depends who we're talking about. But like on Friday night, I saw a tweet from John Heyman, who I'm not a fan of, um, and I don't consider his analysis to be very good. But he's a national writer. He's got a big platform. And he said something to the effect of like, when this trade gets finalized, this is going to put the Cardinals as major threats to the Dodgers and Braves and Padres. No, it's not. Come on. Like, look at the team from 2020. Look at their roster. Nolan is a great player. If he has a six-win season like he's he's done and that he's capable of, that's a great season for them. 
the difference between the 2020 Cardinals, y'all, and like where the Dodgers were is not Nolan Arenado. That's absurd. Come on, Brendan. This maybe, maybe makes them a favorite in the NL Central. And no, it, I don't think it does. I don't think that that's does why either, I though. said maybe. And I was going to say, if you told me KB's healthy and Javi is, you know, just not the 2020 version, which I don't think anybody expects him to be, I, I wouldn't even say they're the favorites in the NL Central. That's where I was going with that. So it's like this notion that, you know, oh my God, Nolan Arenado, Cardinals are going, come on, get out of here. Like he, he, yeah. he is not that good. And their roster is not that good. And also, I should point out in that same tweet, John Heyman said, if if they're able to bring Colton Wong and Yadi Molina back, you lose me on Which this. Is not Yadi happening. isn't good. <laughs> like he's he's what forty something years old. Come on now, we we gotta. He's a great player. I very much wish that the Cardinals were not the recipient of the Rockies dumping payroll and giving away such a good player but the there was so much extreme reaction that uh, you know oh my god cubs are toast they might as well not even spend the money on jock peterson come on now ridiculous sorry brendan well it's still frustrating of course like, of course yeah and that that's where i'm mad it's like 2020 is fine like i see I, I see your point and like, oh, you know, it's not going to put them over the top. You're right about that. Currently with Arnado on the team, they have a projected batting war and the offseason is not over yet. But it's all to say that there's still a lot of pieces that need to be filled. They have a opening day projected war from a positional standpoint, exactly the same as the Cubs right now, right? So it's not, it's not to say this is putting them as a clear favorite. It's putting them within range. They're still within range of the Cubs for the division. For 2022 and beyond, that, that is where my concern comes in because now you're going to start adding to a roster with Arenado for six-plus sure. years. And so that's, I mean, that is disturbing, dude. And if the way that the market keeps progressing where you have guys being dealt for nothing, I mean, you're giving other teams money to take your MVP candidates? Like, what's next? Right. No, I, right? I, I totally understand that. And again, yeah. like, none of my... You you and I were uh, sort of, you know, I was much calmer than you on Friday night. And yeah, I think that's good. I'm it's good that mad. we, you know, sort of occupy different positions. But I don't mean to downplay this, right? Like, it, it's never good. Like, you know, F the Cardinals, right? Like, that's a, a cardinal tagline of this podcast, and I think most Cubs fans through their entire life. Uh, but I, I think just some of the reaction was crazy. Like, it was just so extreme um, and, you know, like, we'll see, you know, Colton Wong is still out there. They they, they still have not, you know, re-signed Yachty officially, things like that. Again, though, like, be my guest and make Yachty your starting catcher at this point. I, I don't I don't get the, Go you know, it. fascination there. But, like, if you left second base open right now, but assume they bring Yachty back, you're looking at Goldschmidt, Arenado, Dylan Carson, Paul DeJong, Tommy Edmond, Tyler O'Neill, you know, uh, Yachty, uh, Bader, you know, maybe, I don't know, like Dex, you know, I don't know what, what everything is, is going on, right, with them and what they end up with, but okay, you know, like that, that lineup is on par with LA or San Diego, it's not, and like, again, like if you look at the Cubs, and if you told me, and, and it's, you know, it's not a sure bet, I get that, right, 
But if you told me, like, Javi's back to himself, not even necessarily MVP Javi, but just himself, right? KB's healthy, Riz is healthy, Wilson's healthy. Like, I think the Cubs lineup is better, you know? Like, it, certainly it's it's competitive. I, I just thought the overall freak out, like, well, there goes the division. Like, I, come on. No. Sorry. Um, and before we're going to get into some of the Cubs uh, pitching things, I know if you're a listener of this podcast, I got many messages uh, about Brendan's uh, request for Trevor yes. Williams being fulfilled. So shortly, I'm going to give give our boy here the platform to uh, celebrate, talk about why he wanted that, things like that. Um, but I, I, I do just want to note uh, one quick thing in, in, in talking about this, right? And we'll see what happens. Of course, we, we, have, we need all these guys to be on the team. We need them to be healthy, things like that. Uh, but I, I, I took a look at just the first base and third base pairings for the Cardinals. And this is part of why my reaction was, yeah, Arenado's great, but like, all right, bring it on, right? Like, let's fight for the division then. Looking at just the third base and first base pairings from when Chris debuted in the league in 2015. So Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo versus Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and their overall total war valuation right? Their wins above replacement combined for the the pair in each of the years. In 2015, the St. Louis pair, obviously they weren't playing together, but you get it, uh, net positive of 0.4 wins above replacement, so barely edge to St. Louis. In 2016, it was a 2.9 positive shift to the Cubs, so W for Brizzo. 2017, it was 0.2 to St. Louis, 2018 is the starkest number. It's 6.4 to St. Louis, but remember that's the season that Chris gets hit in the face early in the year, and he misses about 60 games in that season. 2019, it was St. Louis 0.1. 2020, it was St. Louis 1.4. So why do I bring that up? Like, and, and, you know, again, like wins above replacement and lumping them in together like this and, and, you know, factoring in games played, injuries, things like that. This isn't some like absolute perfect comparison, but outside of 2018, which was, you know, obviously a, a bit of a situation for Chris in particular, these are all very close. These numbers are very close. The difference is not that much. Um, and you also had one year where the Cubs was almost three wins better than, than the St. Louis pair. I just bring that up to say, if KB's healthy and he has a normal year, not even necessarily a 2016-esque year, and Riz is healthy and has a normal year, the Cardinals did not make some move that puts them in another stratosphere from the Cubs. That That's why I illustrate that. Like, Brizzo has every capability and every possibility of being the better duo of these two first base and third base combinations. So I just th- thought I would throw that out there, thought it was interesting. If it's not interesting to you, that's fine. Um, I, just, I just thought it was interesting. It's very close in a lot of these years. It's very tight. And again, to me, the reaction on Friday night was a bit much. Um, I am certainly not willing at this moment to concede the division to the Cardinals. And like gut gut feeling, gun to my head, I would say the Cubs team is better right now. I, I still genuinely believe that. 
Um, are either of them at the top of the National League or the top of the MLB? I don't think so. But as far as the division's concerned, like, miss me with the, like, oh, you know, forget it, wave the white. No, come on. Like, the Cubs just won the division. Let's go. Um, it's February, everybody. We got to start getting into hype mode. Tell. You know what I mean? We got to get ready it's to... Like, who am I Who am I talking to right now? We, Jeez. Well, hey, look, you and I always do this, right? Like, and <sighs> if, yeah, if, sure. if the Cubs don't do more things to take our favorite players off the team, you know, I think we're in business here, right? At least in <laughs> sure. the NL Central. Come on now. But let's move to some of the, the pitching news uh, and... The Cubs adding uh, a lot of names, you know, an approach that we have seen them take before and we've seen them do throughout this winter, you know, just sort of adding these guys and, and hopefully finding some of those bodies to fit in the rotation. If they might do a six-man rotation, we've talked a lot about how you may need a, a lot more guys to eat up these innings coming off of a, you know, shortened and interrupted 2020 season. They're still debating at this moment right now some of the start dates, you know, and things like that. Those reports were flying around even on Monday. So keep an eye on that. But you're you're likely, very likely, not just going to be able to pencil in five guys to the Cubs rotation and ask them all to make 30-plus starts of 200 innings of baseball. You're going to need to cover it in different ways. So one of the ways that Brendan was interested in them doing that was Trevor Williams, formerly of the Pirates. Uh, the Cubs also adding Cole Stewart uh, from the Minnesota Twins to just sort of keep adding on here. And And before I throw it to Brendan. I did not know when we spoke last week um, that Trevor Williams and I, Brendan, are are similar people, it seems. Um, When I looked through his Twitter feed after he had been announced as a, you know, as as someone joining the Chicago Cubs, that story actually broken uh, by Evan Altman of CubsInsider.com, a frequent guest of this podcast. And I'm like looking through his tweets, and he's a huge Pearl Jam fan. Um, He has tweeted about wanting to sit at Wrigley Field with Eddie Vedder, uh, which, if you know me at all, is probably the number one thing. If I could make up something on my bucket list, it would be that. It would be watching a Cubs game with Eddie Vedder. Um, He's also tweeted about making Baby Yoda memes, and... He has on numerous occasions defended Michael Jordan as being the greatest basketball player of all time. So am I saying that I am Trevor Williams? No. Um, But what I am saying is the main difference between Trevor and I appears to be, Brendan, that Trevor is a millionaire athlete who is now going to be a member of the Chicago Cubs, and I'm spending my Monday evening talking to you. But other than that, we're remarkably similar people. So anyway, now that I've gotten that out of the way, uh, you willed this into existence, Brendan. You had tweeted about it beforehand. You had written about it. You had thought this out. This is what you wanted. Again, you know, not in an ideal world, but, but for back of the rotation, rotation depth, opportunity type, this is what you asked for. So to the loyal listeners of the Cubs-related podcast who are looking, you know, maybe at some of his his numbers, some of the peripherals, tell them what you know and tell them why they should care. Well, the, I mean, we talked about it last week. You can go, you can go back to last episode and see some of those, those bigger numbers we talked about. But just to summarize, 
What makes him interesting is that he's got a track record of consistent health. So he started over 25 games three times in his career. And everything else from like a peripheral standpoint, from movement to ERA to walks, whatever you want to look at, looks about average to below league average. Nothing jumps out at you. So you're trying to find a reason. Why does Trevor Williams make sense? Well, he makes sense because he has a unique feature. And what the Cubs have done over the years, not over the years, over the last two years with their bullpen, is they find guys with a unique feature. For Jeffress, it was his splitter. That is a rare pitch in today's sport. For Rowan Wick, it was his spin rate on his curve that they maximized by using a spike curve. For Dan Winkler, it was his spin rate. For Jason Adam, it was his spin rate and his release point. And so they, they've been able to find guys who are misfit toys. And they bring them in. They give them to Tommy Hadovy, Craig Breslow. And they've, you know, if you will, they've, they've fixed them. They've made them valuable pitchers. And you're seeing now the same trend with the starting pitching rotation for the first time. Because now they have opportunities to give to these types of pitchers. So Williams, Trevor Williams has a release point, as I said last week, that's lower than 80% of Major League Baseball. That's unique. That means hitters, when they see Williams pitch, they're not going to be used to that type of release point because they don't see it that much, if ever. And so that's one area that's maybe good or bad. We don't know, but it is a unique feature. And if you look a little bit deeper and you see his spin rate, and even more deeper and his active spin rate. Now you're getting into the woods and you see room for improvement. His fastball active spin rate, bottom 5% in Major League Baseball. Bottom 5%. You look at his slider, basically slightly below league average with his active spin rate. But despite that, despite those suboptimal spin rates, those active spin rates, he had a league average slider whiff rate. Okay, He had an average whiff rate altogether without even maximizing his pitches. And so you look at that release point, maybe they're going to actually change it. I don't know. Maybe they're going to make the most out of it and change his wrist angle to make more of that active spin translate. And so I think there's room for improvement there. I don't think you can look at his strikeout rate and his overall whiff rate and just use those numbers to try to project success. You can't do that. It's a different world. You have to look at how you can improve guys like this. And I think if you look at just tweaking a little bit, having more movement on his slider, for example, that's going to make a big difference. Because you throw, if you throw, if you tell your computer, hey, here's all StatCast data, and I want to get a number out of what the success rate is in predicting a whiff. Throwing StatCast, I can predict a whiff for Trevor Williams 90% of the time. But the most important features, not surprisingly, are more vertical break and more horizontal break. So if you can improve that by like half an inch, you're going to get more whiffs. And if you get more whiffs, even just a little bit more, he'll be an above league average whiff starting pitcher. That's it. Just a little bit of a tweak. And that's why I'm excited about it. Plus, you combine the fact that he is younger. He's 28. He has a track record of health. That's what you should be investing in. So this is this is almost the ideal candidate. Is it the ideal candidate in the fact that he has top-tier stuff? No. But he's gotten by pitching almost at a league average rate 
with like his hands handcuffed, so to speak. And so if you can just unstrap those handcuffs and put them in the pitch lab and try to get some of these things ironed out, as I said, a little bit of a tweak could make a huge difference for this guy. And he's not just a one-year signing, by the way. He's going to be back for 2023 as well. and 20, Sorry, 2022 as well, because he's not even past that point of having enough service time to qualify as a free agent yet. So this is this is a big deal. This is an investment not only for the current season of 21, but for 22 as well, Corey. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I, I generally stand by my sentiment last week, which was obviously I hoped in general to be looking at more elite pitching. Um, you know, I don't know, someone like you Darvish, perhaps. Um, <laughs> but given where the Cubs are, and, and given, I think, one of the stated main goals of, you know, eye toward the future. So A, not doing things that are causing significant restraint in future years, right? You know, so not signing a bunch of like huge long-term contracts at the moment while you're trying to figure all this out. But with Jed operating on a limited budget, these are the types of moves that you want to see them make. Um, You know, and I, I can't tell you exactly what guys like Craig Breslow and Tommy Hadovy and Jed Hoyer are looking at with regard to Trevor Williams, but I bet it's a lot of what Brendan is talking about. And, you know, I know you mentioned this to me, and I think in your writing, Brendan, that we, we've seen them take this approach with a lot of guys, um, and, you know, especially in the bullpen over the past few years, and you were listing off some of those names, you know, identifying guys who maybe haven't caught on in other organizations, but have something you can tap into, whether it's a particular pitch, the spin rate, etc., and seeing what you can get. So in a year like 2021, where the Cubs are doing what they're doing, and this is how they're going about things, this is the type of stuff you want to see them do identifying younger guys who, if possible, have years of control that you can toy around with. The the Cubs pitch lab maybe isn't the, the, the best pitching infrastructure in baseball, but it has gotten a lot of results. And, and we have a, a very, I think, strong reason to believe that you can be hopeful that they can turn some of these guys around and get results. And we've even seen them do it in short spans. So uh, what what is hopefully a normal spring training and a normal kind of runway of time to work with these guys, uh, I think you can hope for good results. I mean, we, we've seen this with, with even just in 2020, right? Like you saw AdBear go to the South Bend satellite uh, site and work on his pitch mix, add pitches, and come back and look like a different pitcher. We we also saw in 2020 the work and project that they put in with someone like Craig Kimbrell, right? Like that was a disaster to start. They put in the work. They told us it was going to be a project and something they were going to work on. And, you know, by the end of the year, you were getting completely different results. So I this is what you want to see them doing given the context of the overall situation with the the payroll the the roster turnover and you know again not putting all your chips in necessarily for this 2021 season for a lot of reasons that have been outlined even outside of just the payroll stuff right um so i this is this is fine and and you know normally on stuff like this i i really do like if brendan can find stuff to get excited about it it's fine for me you know at this moment how hopeful i am of 
X number of these guys hitting that ceiling or, you know, really turning into a guy or things like that. I don't know. But as long as there is stuff for Craig Breslow, Tommy Hadovy to be digging into, to be working on. You know, if you look at Trevor Williams' social media, he's already training and, and you know, wearing all of this advanced uh, technology and these cameras and these radars and things like that. So he he's another one who's going to fit right in there. He's going to know how to work with these numbers. He's going to know how to sort of play with the lingo that, that they're going on. The transition there should be nice and smooth. So you you just trust the the guys in charge and and you know hope that they're able to uh polish him up and in, in in an exciting way and you know again like i i don't mean to suggest that anybody uh who plays for pittsburgh is like phoning it in or or anything like that but you know pittsburgh has been really bad um and i think that a change of scenery in addition to a different front office that is able to you know, maybe play, play around with his pitch mix his release point things like that it's nice to, you know, not be playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? Like, and I, I do mean offense by that. I, w- I was about to say no offense to the Pittsburgh, but like, no, yeah, I mean offense by offense. that. Like, who wants yeah, to play for the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know? So I- I'm not saying it's like he's been holding back and he's, uh, you know, going to go win the Cy Young, but, I, you know, I'm sure it helps to not be playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates is, is basically exactly what I'm saying. So yeah, like I think this is fine. And and hopefully they're not done. I think that that's also part of it. And I'll let you talk uh, a little bit about anybody else. I think you wanted to mention some stuff about Cole Stewart a, as well. Yes. But I, I do hope that the Cubs aren't done. There, there's been a little bit of chatter about Jake Arrieta, who apparently looked good in his workout, uh, but is apparently asking for a little more money than the Cubs want to commit, which I do think is the correct choice. I'm all I'm I'm down if they want to bring Jake back, uh, but the the price should be on the Cubs terms because Jake is far from you know where he left the Cubs and he's far from a sure bet. Uh, to deliver, which just isn't the position the Cubs, you know, they're not in a position to be giving out those contracts. Um, But I do hope that they're not done adding. It it would be nice to see them continue adding. Um, You know, there's plenty of names that that you've heard out there. Um, you, You know, James Paxton maybe is someone that's perhaps too expensive for them. Um, you know, uh, Mike Fultonevich, which, uh, you know, part of me would be relieved if the Cubs don't sign him because there's almost no chance you and I pronounce that name. I assume I just butchered it. <laughs> I don't even want to hear you say it, Brendan, because I'm just, I'm we try. could spend three years trying to, well, we'll call him Fulty. Mike Fulty, yeah, the, <laughs> the the former Atlanta Brave. <laughs> um, you know, he had a workout. I think the velo was down, but, you know, he's still an interesting guy, a guy who at one point in his career was getting really, really major results. Um, so I'd like to see the Cubs keep adding. If you're going to do this and you've already traded you, keep adding these guys that are interesting and that other teams don't have a spot for. Get everybody into camp. Get everybody into the lab. And, you know, between those guys, Kyle Hendricks, Zach Davies, Al Zalai, Tyson Miller, Corey Abbott, whoever you want, get yourself a pitching staff. And and I do think that the Cubs can do that. I think they have the pitching infrastructure and I think the talent is there for them to do that and to be, again, competitive in this division. Cole Stewart. I'm ready for Cole Stewart. So th- this, this is a type of move that does stand out when you look at the peripherals. Whereas for Trevor Williams, you have to dig deeper and you have to go into the raw data. For Cole Stewart, it, it's, right, it's right at you. It's right in your face. So he has some of the best stuff from movement in the league. 
no hyperbole, literally some of the best stuff in the league. And if you look at his pitches, his best pitch is his curveball. He has more horizontal movement with his curveball than 93% of right-handed big leaguers. Th- that That is remarkable, Corey, in his short sample size. I think this is, what, 60? Yeah, over 60 innings. Still, 93%. Let that sink in. And then you look at his fastball. He has more dropping action on his sinker, even his four-seamer, than 85% of the league. Okay? Like, that, like how is he not successful? And then you factor in his changeup. Changeup drops more than 90% of the league. What is the deal? How is this guy not successful? He's a former first-round draft pick from uh, six years ago, and he hasn't had success. It doesn't make much sense. Then you look at maybe why. He throws a sinker once every other pitch, a 50% rate. We've talked about sinkers in an insane amount during this offseason. Why? Because unlike the rest of the league, the Cubs have embraced the sinker. And they've done so in an unorthodox way. Rather than throwing sinkers down in the zone, which is what Cole Stewart has done most of his career. You look at his heat map on his sinkers, he's hammering the kneecaps with that pitch. Whereas the Cubs, you look at Adbert Alzolai, Jose Quintana, Alec Mills, Kyle Hendricks, Braylon Marquez when he was up. Their sinkers are elevated. They're going up in the zone with their sinkers. So... You can see where this makes sense now, Corey. You take a guy like Cole Stewart, who throws 93, 94, 95, and you make one simple change. You say, hey, Cole, we think we have data to show you that if you go up in the zone with your sinker, rather than throwing the pitch down to the kneecaps, basically half the time, you're going to improve your whiff rate. Not only that, your changeup might play better. Not only that, your curveball might play better. It's an easy fix almost. It almost seems too easy. And that, that is why I'm excited about it because you finally have someone in this rotation as a potential candidate that is still young, that has top tier stuff that you can see where the fix makes sense. And this is the most exciting part is that the Cubs seem to be like making their own niche a little bit with this high sinker stuff. And I was looking at sinker pitchers in free agency because I know that's what they've been doing. I mean, we have literal quotes from Tommy Hadovy and Craig Breslow saying, we are telling our guys to throw more sinkers. They developed a sinker for Braylon Marquez because his changeup is so good, right? I just said Cole Stewart has a changeup that drops more than 90% of the league. So th- this is obvious. And so if, if I had to actually bet who's going to be maybe the more successful pitcher, I like Trevor Williams, right? I, I think Cole Stewart has a better chance of being that like top-level projection pitcher in terms of reaching his ceiling. He already has his stuff. Like I, I don't think not much mechanical changes need to take place for him to reach that potential. For Williams, there might need to be some mechanical changes. Stewart already has it, dude. And so they gave him a major league deal for $700,000. Um, that's cheap. I love it. This is exact. This is the prototype pitcher that I wish the Cubs signed earlier in the offseason. And I had 
like full transparency, I didn't know who that I didn't I didn't even know he existed until like two weeks ago. So he wasn't even on the the free agent list I was looking at. So I missed him. If I knew he was there, I would have I would have picked him up. I would have seen him. It's it's so obvious. A heavy sinker guy, top tier of movement, change your location, and I think you're genuinely going to see someone come out of his shell and be a, a very valuable pitcher that might surprise a lot of you. But hopefully, if you listen to us here, maybe maybe it won't be that much of a surprise. Yeah. So, you know, again, like I, I, I think I understand if, uh, you know, some of you are not super excited to be talking about or getting excited about Trevor Williams and Cole Stewart and guys like that. But this is where the Cubs are. And I think that there is a, there is a far, far, there's a big gap between this isn't the ideal off season and we wish they were spending more money or you know putting all their chips in for 2021 there's a big big gap it's a far cry from that to this team is bad and not worth paying attention to right and you know i think that when stuff like the darvish trade happens or other things i think you know some people just go too far to the extreme, like that this team is bad, they're going to stink, yada, yada. And, you know, I think you'll recall, even on the episode, the explicit episode after the Darvish trade, you know, we said, like, this doesn't make them bad, or this doesn't, you know, make the season, uh, you know, wave the white flag territory. We're just mad that they traded you Darvish, you know? Um, So that's the, 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 the excitement, I guess, if you want to call it that, from from Brendan over guys like Trevor Williams and Cole Stewart, uh, isn't as exciting as we'd hope it would be. But just because these guys aren't the top-tier arms or whatever, or the Cubs didn't trade for Jacob deGrom, right, doesn't mean that these guys aren't interesting. And it doesn't mean that they can't be productive and successful players on a team that still has a lot of potential to be pretty good. Um, and, and certainly interesting. So that's, you know, that's, that's sort of where we are. Um, and, and that's, I think, what is the best way forward. Um, you know, as we've said, you know, there's, there's not a lot of value in just sitting around and complaining. Um, this is who's on the Cubs and there's a lot of talent there and there's a lot of reason for promise and, and hope. And, and again, the, the ability to look at certain things these guys do and, and be intrigued as to how productive and successful they can be, uh, in this organization and, you know, in a different organization from, from where they're coming from. So, not as exciting as we'd hope, but that doesn't mean it's bad. That doesn't mean it's all bad and, and worthless, which I think is, uh, you know, a, a good bit of some of the narrative with the Cubs. But it it did, you know, it, it did, uh, it kind of to your earlier point, Brendan, the, the Cardinals trade did kind of reignite um, a little bit of the fire in me. And I, you and I have never written this team off. Um, I think even the beginning of the offseason on the Darvish explicit episode, throughout this entire time, we have never said that this team was out of competition for the division or going to lose 100 games. You know, we, we've we never said that. Um, we've always believed that there's still talent here and coming off of winning a division, they could do it again and should be trying to do that. Um, but just the extreme reaction in some circles for the Cardinals and the, the, you know, you, you have, and like Bob Nightingale from the USA Today is a moron, like a complete moron who 
frequently makes mistakes and is just bad at his job. But he's got a huge platform. And, you know, he, I mean, he literally tweeted, like, put the champagne on ice for the St. Louis Cardinals if they get this deal. Get out of here. Get out of here for real. Like, complete joke. Crazy. Crazy talk. And again, we'll see what else the Cubs do, right? Things can fluctuate. Um, But as of this moment, like, I am, uh, as I think Brendan and I have always been in, you know, we are in the camp of keep Chris Bryant, get him healthy, have him put up uh, a, a solid to MVP level season like we know he's capable of, get Javi back and doing his thing, Rizzo, Contreras, you add in, you know, Ian Happ coming off of a career year, Jason Hayward, who had a really good year in 2020, like, th- this team has talent, this team is definitely still competing in the NL Central. All of this, uh, you know, Cardinals praise is just too much, and we, we can't stand for it on the Cubs-related podcast. So um, I, I think it's all in line with how we've been talking about this team this whole time, but it, it, it got me even more fired up. Like, okay, come on, you know, you know what I mean? Like, this isn't exactly what I want the Cubs to be doing, but let's chill here with some of this, some of this talk. Um, so I think that's all we have for you. This was a, an action-packed episode, Brendan. We actually had stuff to discuss, and you know, perhaps as as the market has opened up a little bit, we're seeing guys make decisions and things like that. Um, you know, we saw a few of these these pitchers maybe on the Cubs' radar throwing some bullpens, throwing in front of scouts. So maybe we see things tick up. And and you know, again, the the million dollar question for the Cubs here is: Are they done? Are they going to move guys from this roster, or are they going to add a few more guys? to this roster. And I, you know, I think overall that that's going to really inform how we look back at this offseason and ultimately how we look at projecting 2021. Um, but for now, I think that's all we have for you. As always, we'll, we'll jump on if it's breaking news. You know, because it was so close to when we record, it was on a Friday night. Um, you know, I, I didn't think Jock Peterson really fit that bill. Um, you know, the emergency episode has been pretty sparsely used. So I don't know if Jock really broke that barrier, but we thought about it. Um, But if there's something super significant, we will break on. Otherwise, we'll talk to you guys next week. And we thank you guys for listening. We're getting closer to actual baseball and, you know, really having some resolutions to a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about through over the course of this offseason. So we look forward to that. We thank you guys for joining us here on the Cubs Related Podcast. As always, we will talk to you soon, and we always end with Go Cubs.